a series this has been. And this one, game five, it's coming right down to the wire. Tatum at the line. Second free throw to make it a two-point game. Free throw's good. So a couple big free throws from Jason Tatum. It's back to a two-point lead for Boston. On the Kupo goes, the hook shot, no. And Giannis is going to the line. And on the Kupo to shoot a pair to try to tie this game with 14 and change left. Just felt like we didn't make those kind of game-clinching plays. When we had the chance to kind of put our foot, foot on the gas and, and pull away a little bit, we always gave them hope. Clutch. One more. If you're the Celtics here, you have got to block out and get everybody on the glass. To tie the game. Missed it short. Portis with a rebound. Sticks it back up. It rims around and drops. The Bucks have a one-point lead with 11.4 seconds to go in the fourth. Portis, who did not play in the fourth quarter in game four, coming up big here. Playoffs is all about moments. It's not about how many shots you make. Not about how many points you score. It's just about moments to me. And uh, we have a lot of guys on this team that can have moments. Boston led by 14. Two minutes into this fourth quarter. Marcus Smart goes to the rack and blocked by Drew Holiday. He throws it off Smart. Milwaukee ball. What a play by Drew Holiday. That is a great defensive play there. Not only the block. May 12, 2022. So, as you just heard previously, the Bucks stole one in Boston. <laughs> Drew Holiday out Marcus Smart, Marcus Smart, and the Bucks stole one in Milwaukee. 110 to 107. Big time performance by Giannis, but for the looks of it, I thought Boston was going to secure that game and walk away with it, you know, coming down with 2 minutes left, but they stole it. I'm here with my man Baller, and yeah, yeah, other than Memphis kicking the crap out of Golden State last night and giving them a taste of their own medicine, you know, that's that's our rundown on these game fives. Baller, mm-hmm. did you see any of the games last night? You know, what's interesting is that I went to the gym, and I was, you know, in and out of watching the game, uh, the Bucks and the Celtics game, and I seen, you know, the Bucks and Celtics were up. I was like, yeah, this one's over. You know what I mean? I just kind of went on with what I was doing and continued working out. And then later on to find out that there was this dramatic thing that happened towards the end of the game and that the Bucks had come back and won. And I was like, it blew me away, not just because it was possible, but because things like that don't tend to happen that much in the NBA anymore. Yeah. You know, like, we come up in an era where execution down the stretch was the only real way that you could secure a victory in a game because they were all pretty tight. You know what I mean? So yeah. it was like a two, almost like a two minute drill, yeah. you know? So you would see stuff like that. You'll see execution. You'll see bucket, timeout, bucket, timeout, bucket, timeout. And two minutes could take a half an hour. Yep. You know what I mean? Like literally I'd be up at night, begging my mom to let me stay up mm-hmm. because the game, you know what I mean? I'm like, yo, it's just, there's a minute and 30 seconds left. Like, just, you know, I'll be, you know, and then next thing you know, she's coming back to me like, you're still awake. I'm like, there's 40 seconds left because 
it would just take so long for two minutes to go because they were constantly calling time up, yeah. fouling, executing. So that game last night was reminiscent of a game that would, would take place in the 90s, late 90s. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So I was impressed. I was surprised. It was good. Yeah, I loved it. I even rewinded the, the game a little bit towards that end just so I could rewatch it because I wasn't paying that much attention in the clutch. But when I seen the way it ended, because I was like, are you crazy? Milwaukee won? How? Yeah. So I, I went back and I watched and I was like, man, they they literally stole this one. You know, when Giannis hit that three, I was like, man, Boston's in trouble. And yeah, everybody yeah. played their part. Everybody showed up and did what they were supposed to do. And, and you look at a team and you're like, this is what team basketball is. You know? Yeah. Everybody does something really good. They're focused on what they do and they execute it. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Like when I said, like, you know, Drew Holiday out, Marcus Smart, Marcus Smart, it, you know, Marcus Smart makes winning basketball plays defensively, offensively. And that's what Drew Holiday turned into. And all of his plays, the, the, the block was on Marcus Smart, the yeah. steal at the end of the game was on Marcus Smart. And you know Marcus Smart's a thinking individual. And, the, and, yeah, he just, yeah. and he just seen it and he was just like, damn. You know, this guy's yeah. really good. You know, the defensive player of the year <laughs> is looking at a guy like he could have easily been defensive player of the year himself. And yep. yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was great. It was great to watch, man. It was yeah. great. To, I, I loved it. I don't really, sometimes the blowouts are cool depending on, you know, if that was, if that's your team. But something like this in a playoff moment in that atmosphere, this is what you, this is what you want to see. This is what you want to yeah. see this time of year. So, I was excited. Yeah, I was happy for it, man. But I, smart you know, has a long. Smart's gonna have a long flight. <laughs> yeah. I'll say it that yeah, way. Yeah. Game six is gonna. Game six is gonna be serious because you know Boston's not gonna roll over and play dead. They're gonna come back. So absolutely, and you know that on that plane, it's dead silent right now. Oh. You know what I mean? Because they got they got their work cut out for them now. Now they have to fight through a game six to hopefully get to a game seven to have to fight for a game seven too when they could have won that game and now be looking at all we need is one out of these next two. Yeah. So it's a way diff more difficult road now just because they had a mental lapse towards the end of the game. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. and that's the beauty of the playoffs, man. It's high stakes. You know, it's funny. As I open my my uh, laptop and I'm just looking at the the different clips and headlines that are out right now, I see smack in front of me, Draymond Green saying, "I'm gonna charge this one to JT," talking about his reaction to the Celtics and Bucks game. It just blows my mind. I'm like, bro, you're playing right now. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? And you're talking about another man on another team and giving a breakdown of why that team lost the game. Like, this is mind-blowing to me to see what's <laughs> going on on the internet right now. You know what I mean? Like, I just can't believe it. Like, you know, like, you almost think, bro, just don't say anything. Like, it's not your business. It's not your series. It's, this is a current series playing out while you just got crushed. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that to me, like, 
again, as a true competitor, man. Again, Draymond's his own man. He has a lot of pull on the team, so nobody's really going to say nothing to him. But if if this was, put it this way, if he played with Michael Jordan, I think they'd have some problems. You know what I mean? Just because guys would be like, bro, we just got destroyed. And you're doing a podcast talking about another game and what you think went wrong in the other game? Yeah. I don't know. You know what I mean? Maybe today's one, you skip that. You know what I mean? And then ponder and meditate on the L you just took. The same way I think Marcus Smart is taking it right now. You guys got embarrassed. Like, to me, it was dis- it's disgusting to see a playoff game play out in such a way where a team could lo- be losing by basically 40 at a certain point. There, like that, I don't know. Yeah, they were number 46 at one point. There's a there's an arrogance about them, you know? And and sometimes arrogance is, you know, it's, it's, it's good, but there's a negative side where it, it really can come back to haunt you. And, and you're right. Focus on what happened last night. Because what happened last night wasn't, it wasn't small. <laughs> it was big. It was huge. You have a team on the ropes. It's an elimination game for you guys to move on to the next round, get some rest, and get ready for um, Phoenix or Dallas. But you guys got destroyed. Destroyed. In yeah. only a way that you guys normally destroy teams. That's how you got destroyed, you know? And John Morant's not playing. So exactly. it was supposed to be an easy cakewalk, but you came out with a little bit of arrogance. And in the first quarter, you could see Memphis was on a roll. And then, yeah, two quick trees, threes by um, Steph Curry. All of a sudden... Game is back. And I think that arrogance set in again, like, ah, this is light work. And then it was like, nah, <laughs> nah, nah, nah. We're going to separate this thing and blow you guys out. And yeah, once once Memphis got cooking, they got cooking. And I think the, yeah. the biggest um, the biggest thing looking at it when they seen John Morant out, they probably thought it was an easy game. But you have to remember, this team made itself off of the fact that John Morant was out for the year. You know what I mean? Most of yeah. the year. And when he was out, these guys killed. These guys, matter of fact, they had a better record without him than with him. Mm. So they didn't think about that. I, I know they didn't. Not the way they came out. But you're, I think you're kind of right when he when he comes out and he makes the statement about Boston. But again, it's kind of yeah. his job to do so. You know, he's yeah. he's a, he's now a media figure. So he's got to come yeah. out the way Reddick's going to come out and the way Skip Bayless and, and these guys are going to come out. He, he's got to come out and speak about it, the way we're speaking about it. But it is kind of so, weird watching it when, you know, you're supposed to be focused on what happened to you. Well, especially because you want to see a person that's emotionally invested. Like, so when I'm angry or when any person's really angry, to then just jump on camera and start speaking upbeat and trying to make jokes and talk about all these different things that are going on. Like, you know, when you see a press conference after the game and the guy's just irritated, he doesn't even want to answer the questions because of how the game played out. You know what I mean? Like, 
you expect that. You expect somebody to be frustrated and irritated. This is this is your reputation. This is this is what you make your money off of. And again, he makes twenty five million as he as he made the statement in one of the press conferences um, because of what was going on with him and the fans and them. Right. So again, I guess this is just the way the NBA works now. But for me, I'm like, bro, I'd, I'd just like to see you focused on getting this stuff done and not really look at because it's fine. I'll say it this way. It's cool, right? The, everything's fair. So you do a podcast or you do whatever you do. That's cool. But now what happens when four or five of your other teammates start doing them too? Are they allowed? Are they allowed to? hop on and start to talk about the whole league and interview their buddies, guys on the other team that they just lost to. So now Jordan Poole and Jaron Jackson are friends. So now they're going to go and do a, they're going to go to a location in the hotel and sit there and Poole's going to interview Jaron Jackson about the smashing that they just took. They should. <laughs> right. But you, you see what I'm saying? Like, where does the line, like, is there a line anymore? No, is there? There is no line. There is no line. I, I, I think you think there should be. I think you think that there is a line that's being crossed right now. And I'm, I'm here to tell you that Draymond Green is not upset about last night. He's not. That's what I mean. Like, he's not upset. They're arrogant. They look at this like, whatever. Did you see the end of the game when they were playing the song? And he was on yeah. the bench waving the towel, dancing to the song. Bro, do you think I watched the game to the end? Well, yeah, no. But <laughs> of course not. <laughs> so he's waving the towel, you know, dancing with the fans because the fans are giving it to him. But he's dancing and there's a, there's just there's nothing there's nothing there where you're like, yeah, these guys are. He's really angry. He's going. Nah, he doesn't care. You know what I mean, yeah. this is a team that's already won championships, been down three one, and it's and it's a long time ago that that three one comeback from from the from the Cavs okay. happened. Oh, you know when they lost in the finals and they blew that, and a lot of people talk about that. You know, it's kind of Draymond's fault with the kick and getting suspended, and you know, if he was there. Mm-hmm. It probably wouldn't have happened. So he has a he has to he had to live with that one, you know, to the point where they talked about after that he he's the one that made the call to KD after they lost mm. because he understood that he had to bear some responsibility for them being up three one in the NBA Finals and then losing in Game Seven, you know, so. I do uh-huh. think, but I think there's an arrogance. I think they they've already won. The guy already has three titles. They they just they they feel like they're just good. If if they never win again, they're gonna feel like they're good. And I think well, that the, the the we need more. We need more. I think that's dead. Like I, I, these guys are already thinking about after basketball. They're thinking about what's next. They're not focused on the moment they're, as much as they're focused on. How can I maximize this moment right now? You know, maybe. I mean, I, I don't know if you can speak for every single person. I think each one of them has a different point yeah. of view. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. I I think Curry's still hungry. 
I think I think Curry doesn't feel as fulfilled by the championships that he got with Kevin Durant. I think Curry was on something that I hated to see it interfered with. And I'm sure he didn't necessarily want somebody to come along and take away the spotlight from him at that moment. Yeah. And that he understood that it's not it's not the same. It's not gonna be received the exact same yeah. as the ones that he the one that he won without him. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I do think he wants to get back to that that peak and yeah. be that guy again where they're talking about him in those MVP conversations or at least that he's still the same guy and that we still look at him with the same reverence and the same feeling of awe because you started to lose a little bit of that when he was running around with KD and it was just so effortless and easy. So this, like the beginning of the season, the way that the Warriors started the season is the reason why I said Curry for MVP because he was playing almost as good as, or maybe as good as he was the year that they won 24 straight to open a season and he had the unanimous MVP. I think that's how good he was looking at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. And the Warriors, it changed everything for the Warriors. It set the tone for Jordan Poole, it set the tone for Wiggins, it set the tone for their whole organization. So I think Curry still has a little bit of that in him. I know Clay Thompson has something to prove. And he wants to show that he's still the same guy. So I just think there's personalities, just like how the Bulls were. And that Draymond's kind of in a Rodman role. You know what I mean? Where you kind of have to accept some of the things that he's going to do because when he's on the floor, he brings so much to the table. So they're kind of in Because, again, no one else is doing that. Mm-hmm. No one else is making a podcast right now. No one else is. You know, like there's a moment in time for everything, and I think most of the guys are like kind of focused. Yeah, I just think Draymond thinks he's good enough to do both, and realistically, he doesn't have to carry a, a scoring load like the other guys do. Um, but yeah, whatever. You know, teach his own. I guess I just I worry more so for what it opens the door for, even more than what he himself is doing. You know what I mean? Again, you start seeing other players. Guys that's 12th off the bench. Guys that, you know, are just not really, really going to be on the floor that much. Doing things that will make you question their loyalty to the team or how focused they are. And is it fair to penalize a guy like that versus another guy? You yeah, know what I mean? But he's seen it before. You know what I mean? When um, Richard Jefferson and um, Shannon, um, Shannon Fry were doing theirs, um, I guess, I guess. Yeah, they see, they, they see it. This is just a different time. Like, they, they they look at basketball, I think they look at basketball more as a game and a vehicle to everything else, more so than this game means everything. It, it, yeah. I don't think it's a gladiator thing anymore. It's more just a, you know, it's a, it's a friendship and let's so, show off our skills in, 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 a, in a certain way and let's just hug it out. Just, yeah. That's what we do. Well, it's, it's funny you say that because it makes me think of, you know, kind of the theme of the convo that we were talking about having, which is like where this thing came from. Yeah. You know what I mean? And who were the people that kind of built the pillars around this game that we now are holding to? And even now are concerned that some of those pillars are kind of being eroded or are not being held in the same regard as they used to be. Yeah, you know what I mean. I I think there are some guys 
that have laid the path for where we are now that, yeah. you know, the young players and the young audience and, and people that even just love the game and, and, and remember some of these things are going to really enjoy. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think of a, a guy like Larry Bird, you mm. know what I mean? Like really though, like ultra competitive. Yeah. You know what I mean? A guy that walks into the NBA shootout and says, so who's coming in second? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not your friend. <laughs> so let's just get that clear right now. Yeah. 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 Like it, it's when I was, when I was watching the Showtime series um, with uh, the whole Lakers, they kept having this moment because Larry Bird kept getting everything Magic Johnson wanted. Everybody mm. thought like, yeah, Larry's, Larry's really the guy. Larry won the MV, like the rookie of the year. Larry's, and Larry was just stuck in Magic Johnson's head. But Larry's kind of a dick. Like, I, I love it. Like, I just love who he was. Like, he didn't see him all the time and hug him. Like, there was, that was a real rivalry. That was a real rivalry that ended up building on a friendship in the later years. But, yeah, he yeah. couldn't stand Larry. Like, he's seen him. He was just like, they, there was a respect there. But it was like, nah. I want to beat this guy. <laughs> like, I have to beat this guy. I can't stand this guy. This guy's the guy. But, yeah, man. Like, I, I think you're right. Like, when I think about basketball, I think about the state of it. Like, we talk about the state right now. When we talk about young players and what they're watching. And sometimes when we see the things like the, the Draymond Green podcast stuff, we start to think, like, man, the, I don't know if these young guys are getting the same effect from the game that we got when we were young. And maybe that's yeah. just us being old. But when we grew up in the 90s, I started to think about and I said, who are some of the guys that started to influence us and how we played the game and yeah. how we molded ourselves and how we, you know, wanted to be like them, you know? So I think of the young guys now. I'm like, they have the John Morants. They have the Jason Tatums and, and all of these guys that are in the league, but they're not the ultra, ultra superstar. They're not the LeBron James. They're not the... You know, quote unquote, top of the game, but there's guys there that they just love. And I was like, who is yeah. who? Who is our guys? And I started to run back. I'm like, ah, guys that had a massive impact on me. Kevin Garnett. Um, mm. you have Grant Hill. You have Chris Weber. You have Penny Hardaway. All of these guys had such a profound impact on me and my game and stuff that I wanted to do and wanted to try because these guys were the the, the type of taller type of players that were handling the ball and moving around and could still post up and could, could be multidimensional. And they yeah. opened up the floodgates for, for the LeBron James. The, you know what I mean? They're the Swiss Army knife, but you're right. Like, when you talk about Larry and Magic, Magic was the first Swiss Army knife, you yeah. know? And yeah. I love seeing the evolution of the game, but I, I wanted to talk a lot about our guys, you know, our 90s. Yeah. The 80s is cool. But the 90s did something to the game. It changed fundamentally the look and the feel of the game. And a lot of yeah. these new players that came in at that time really had a lot to do with it, down to the shorts. <laughs> you yeah. Know? So, yeah. yeah, like I wanted to ask you, man, like who, when you think about an influence, you know, because obviously your name is Baller, right? Yeah. So you 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 obviously have a... a an, uh, yeah. A relationship with the game. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. So who is 
who are the players that inspired you that you could yeah. look back at and go to the playground and be like, yeah, this, I want to do that. I'll say, I'll say it like this. I mean, it's, it's, it's very obvious if you see me play and just know the era, but then there's some other people and there's some other things mixed in there that also played a big role too. So the obvious is Michael Jordan yeah. and then Al- and Allen Iverson. My, yeah. my style of play, especially because I, I was very small when I, as I was young, yeah. you know, I had a growth spurt later, but I was really small. So Allen Iverson was really, really impactful because he just, showed me a guy that could thrive and even command the whole game at a size that it was very obvious that he was probably the smallest player on the floor at the time, yeah. you know? So, so it gave me a, a, a belief in myself that I could be the one I could be the guy. I could be the best player on the floor, even at the size that I was at the time. Yeah. So to me, I loved him so much for that. And the way that he was able to do it was the fact that he was so shifty. Yeah. That he, that he would just set you up and then cross you over so hard that you'd be running in the wrong direction. And yeah. he'd embarrass you. You know what I mean? And it was like, who's he going to get next? Yeah. You know, like I remember I was watching him give it to people and I seen him give it to Reggie on the, on the baseline. Yeah. Obviously he gave it to Jordan. Mm-hmm. He had that signature crossover. Like, the only other player that you could think of that had a signature crossover was Tim Hardaway. Yeah. You know, you knew about that move. Like, you're like, damn, don't let him catch you with the, you know what I mean? The UTEP two-step. Like, don't yeah. let him give it to you. You know, Iverson yeah. was that guy. Like, he had that move like a wrestler. Like, he had a finishing move. You know what I mean? Jordan had his fadeaway. Or his tongue will come out when he's going to dunk on you. Yeah. You know, like, and Iverson had that that crossover. You yeah. know what I mean? And he would dunk on you off the rebound a lot. That's what I loved about Iverson, too. <laughs> if you don't box him out, he's flying in on you. And I eventually got tall enough where I could dunk, and I would be doing that, too. I'd just run in, and if you're not watching me, you're getting it, you know? So those two, Michael Jordan and Iverson, were like, foundational but you know also i was thinking as i was talking who really i didn't realize it because i didn't fully idolize him but it did it was similar was damon stalemire here in toronto oh yeah yeah mighty mouse mighty mouse yeah Yeah. right mighty mouse he was something like he fought he battled he went to war with these teams you know what i mean and he gave me pride to know that at least we had a guy that represented our franchise that could hold it down for us so yeah. he was definitely somebody that I respected a whole lot too because oh, yeah. he was little. Yeah. Yeah, he was man, like when you like just thinking back on it, like when you think about like Allen Iverson, and it's funny because with his crossover, when you compare it to Tim's, Tim's is nice and tight. It's mm-hmm. it's just it's it's in the it's in the right way that you you you'd be taught how to make that move. Ball, everything is tight. Everything is quick. It's fierce. AI's crossover was so wide and out there that it was just, it was almost teasing people the way he laid the ball out there. Yeah. It was, it's, it, was, it was incredible. And my first taste of Allen Iverson was Georgetown. Mm. 
it was Georgetown so much. Like I wanted, I wanted a Georgetown jersey. But watching number three at Georgetown, I was like, yo, I love this guy. Like I love AI. Everything about him. And the Raptors are so close to getting him. So close. Ooh. If I think back on it, I'm like, geez, man, that 96 draft. If that ping pong ball would have gone the other way, we'd have ended up with the number one pick. We got number two that year. We took Marcus Camby. But, man, I would have loved AI in flipping Toronto, man. I really would have. I would have. Yeah. In that moment, I would have got rid of Stoudemire for him. But <laughs> <laughs> as good as Stoudemire was being the rookie of the year, there was just something about AI. He brought this cultural shift. He brought in the braids. He brought in more of the bagginess that the Fab Five brought in. He just brought in such a flair to the game. And that crossover, when he crossed over Jordan, he arrived. You know? Yeah. He, yeah. He, he definitely arrived. And that was like, that was a thing where it was like, wow. Every kid yeah. went outside and they were practicing that crossover. So I, I could imagine you were at a court somewhere practicing yeah. that same crossover. To the point where my intention was to be better at it than him. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, you know, again, like I'd love to test it, but I got really, really good at it because I got good at like masking it more. Cause like you said, I was thinking you could kind of see it coming, yeah. you know what I mean? But it was just so hard to resist. Yeah. So, you know, it was like a snake charmer. Like you, you just watched it and then you thought that you had it and then you didn't have it. Yeah. You know, so I tried my best to learn how to mask it in other things or at different moments and different speeds of it but with it at the core, meaning that ability to shift your body weight from one side to the other and make it look like you're going one way, but not actually, and then just going back the next. So Iverson, for sure, was absolutely so critical in my development. And Michael Jordan, because of, again, his grace, his how well he moved. It's funny, I was talking to a guy, and he said, you know, John ja Morant is a baby Jordan, especially when he goes to the back. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, he really does look a lot like how Michael Jordan looked when he would attack the rim, whether he would just switch hands or just find a way around the guy when he started taking off or he would hang in the air with you and kind of outlast you and then shoot it as you're coming down. Very similar to Michael Jordan, the way that Jordan used to attack the rim. Yeah, um, But Jordan was just so clever, man. He was so creative. Yeah. You know, that's the thing I love about Michael Jordan the most is how creative he was. Like every single day that he played, he'd do something that was something you've never seen before. Yeah. Yeah. Every time. Yeah. And I and I think he sparked the imagination in in a lot of people who came after. And when I think about him, it's like he came from this era where he just did things differently. Like he was this new era breath of fresh air in the eighties that sort of came in that kind of gave rise to like the fab five with that new flair, because you're challenging the, the structure of basketball. And when you think of the way basketball was taught and coached and played fundamentally, there was just a, a certain reverence about around the game where you shouldn't, do certain things you shouldn't do certain things there's certain things 
you 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 can't do around the game and you have to follow instructions. I remember them talking about um I heard somebody an, an, an older person talking about in back in the day he went to a basketball camp with um Bobby Knight. Mm. And for those who don't know Bobby Knight, great coach of Indiana, the the angry chair tossing coach on on the court, real tough hard-nosed coach, but he would have he he would have been the coach K of that day. Matter of fact, mm-hmm. Coach K was his assistant at one point. So mm-hmm. this is this is this guy's basketball royalty, greatness. So he went to a basketball camp, and Bobby Knight has you know all the top all Americans in there, and he says to them, "All right, you guys are gonna come down the court, lay the ball up, don't let the ball hit the floor, pass it to the next guy." That's it, <laughs> right? So yeah. You know, the, 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 the white kids being from Indiana, they kind of they, they kind of get it. Do whatever yeah. this guy says, <laughs> right? Yeah. So they go, lay up the ball, and catch it, pass it to the next guy. The black kids from the inner city, they wanted to put on a show. So they decided now they're going to, you know, start doing the best of. They're going to start doing some reverse dunks, some windmills, all of that. So he lets them do it, and then he stops, and he says, you, 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 and you, you're out. <laughs> yeah, Because you it. didn't follow my instructions. I told you to lay the ball up. Don't let the ball hit the floor and pass it to the next guy. I never once told you to dunk the ball. Never. So right. basketball was, was, was very, very militaristic back then, just in terms of the way things were done. And so we watch the old footage, you're like, there's not a lot of crossing over and playing with the ball, and it's very, very methodical. So someone like Jordan comes into the league, and there's this difference, there's this hang time, there's this, there's just this smoothness about him where he's almost challenging the status quo of the way the game of basketball is played. And his breakout moment in the league was him playing against the Celtics and him playing against Larry Bird in the playoffs and him putting the ball through his legs on the baseline and him doing some of the things he's doing. And the older guys, the Larry Birds are like, yo, I remember Larry's quote after the game. It's like, nah, that's not Michael Jordan. That's Jesus in tennis shoes. You know, that that guy's, that guy's something, that guy's something else. But yeah. it, it allowed the game to usher in this new thought process. Like, we can do things differently, and the game yep. will love it for it. So the uniqueness that he was starting to bring, that flair that he brought in, gave rise to the 90s, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. 10 years after he did the thing to Boston, he gets Allen Iverson crossing him at the top of the key. The way he's doing it. Leaving the ball out, hanging it, teasing it for yeah. Michael to reach and crossing him over and hitting that jump shot. So yeah. all of that had to take place. But it's like, yeah, the the there was a flare that took place. And I would even say probably that started with Pistol Pete. That's who I was actually thinking about when as you're talking, I was thinking about Pistol Pete and the price that he even had to pay. Yeah. Because of the way that he was so different that even the players that were playing with him did not know how, and they'd be getting hit in the face with passes. He was just too much. And he was so much of a star that they started resenting him also. 
yeah. because that was one of the beginning stages of this star driven basketball team. Prior to that, your your goal was to fit in. Yeah. You know what I mean? Your goal was to not ruffle any feathers and to you know, like you said, militaristic. You're trying to be one of the guys. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're that was not the goal to stand out from the from the bunch. But as the league struggled because they had other sports to contend with, like football. Yeah. They weren't able to keep the people in the seats. They weren't able to sell tickets. Yeah. Because at the very least in football, it's physical. Guys are getting hit. It's a whole bunch of things that are other elements to the game other than just scoring, right? So they had to figure out then what were the other elements to basketball that were going to make it interesting for the common fan to care about it enough to sit through a two-and-a-half-hour game, right? Yeah. So now you see these, these, these personalities start popping up that are doing things that are almost they they almost make them look like magicians. Yeah. You know, like Pistol Pete was a magician with a basketball. It was so easy for him that he got bored. Yeah. You know what I mean? But he had to pay a heavy price. He had to suffer for it. And then as time went on, the league also helped it as well. The league understood that they needed to protect these type of guys and promote these type of guys as well. Because it's funny, I was thinking about when you mentioned Bobby Knight, it made me laugh. I was like, in this era, would Bobby Knight even have made it as far as he did? Hell no. There's no way. Like, There's no way. Like, imagine, like, anyone that just wants to see something funny, go YouTube Bobby Knight meltdown, <laughs> maybe. You know what I mean? Like, this guy would literally throw chairs. Yeah. Like, he, like, that. talk about a guy feeling himself. He knew that he had the kind of power that he could demonstrate himself in such a way that you'd be like, oh, my God. Like, you'd be covering your child's eyes, how bad it would get. And then he'd just be back the next day. <laughs> like, like, that was bipolar on a level that you might, you'll never see again. No. You know what I mean? You'll never. Our society will never allow a person to do what Bobby Knight yeah. did. but. Yeah, you know what's funny? Because I, I, I wanted to tell this Bobby Knight story about Michael Jordan. I don't know if you've heard it. I don't know. So Bobby Knight, was the, he was the coach of the, the 84 Olympics team, back when the Olympic team was um, only college players. So Jordan was on that 84 Olympic team, and Bobby Knight was the coach. So Bobby Knight's like, this guy's the best basketball player I've ever seen. Like, he's, Michael Jordan is just so good. But he's like, I can't, I, I got to, you know what I mean? Like, because he's the star, I got to get on him, you know? But mm. I can't find any reason to <laughs> yell at the guy about anything because the guy's doing everything out there on the basketball floor. I don't even know what to say. But he's like, I got to, he's like, we're in a game. <laughs> we're, we're completely destroying whatever country we're playing, completely destroying them. And Michael probably has 27 and a half already. So he's like, he's like, I got to come up with something. <laughs> I got to come up with something. I got to, I got to get on him about something because I don't want them to let up. And if everybody sees me getting on Michael, they'll know that they got to up their game too as well. So he's mm -hmm. like, what can I find? So he's talking to them and he's like, and Michael, you're setting those screens 
You're not doing a very good job. You got to set those screens, stay there, and, and really set a good screen, you know? He's mm-hmm. like, it's the only thing I can say, you know? <laughs> so he says, Michael looks at him and says, are you sure? He's like, I think I'm setting those screens, but I'm setting them faster than your eyes can see them. <laughs> and so Bobby Knight's like, what? This 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 guy, man. <laughs> he's like this guy. He's like, yeah. He's like, I think I'm a little faster than your eyes can see. And he's just like, man. He's like Michael Jordan is the. He's like he's the best. And one of the quotes that he talked about when that '84 draft took place, where the the Blazers. So you had Houston, the Blazers, and then you had the Chicago Bills picking third. And so they asked him about it because they were like. You know, certain teams like the Blazers don't need a guard because they just drafted Clyde Drexler. Mm -hmm. And so he said to them, if I was you, I would draft Jordan and play him at center then. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) whatever. Like, that's how good he is. Period. But Bobby Knight never really showed any real emotion, any real love like that. Like, you you didn't hear stories like that. But he has no. such a fondness for Michael Jordan that it's like he's almost kid-like when he talks about him, about how yeah. impressed he was by this person. So, you know, it, it's a testament that to, to Jordan looking at the statesman of basketball, Bobby Knight at the time, and impressing him so much that you're like, man, I just love what the guy does. I can't even stop it, you know? You know, yeah, and I think what makes that, possible is the fact that Jordan came out of the system in North Carolina with Dean Smith and the kind of respect that he has for authority still like yeah because it's not Bobby Knight would have hated him if it was just talent alone yeah yeah it's the fact that Jordan still did all of the basic things that were necessary for Bobby to even be able to tolerate him Mm -hmm. to be able to want to coach him you know what I mean like it wasn't just that he could put the ball in the net. He was doing all the fundamental things along the way as well. And I think arrows and times, they produce a certain product. They produce a certain type of person, a certain type of player. And I just think Jordan was such an amazing blend of pure gifts and real discipline. Yeah. You know what I mean? And a real structure. I mean, again, the fact that his father was a common working man, you know, and that being a blue-collar worker was something to be proud of in that era. Yeah. Right? So you you really, really took pride in the fact that you worked, that you went home, that you had your lunch pail, and that you would be the man that brought home the bread for your family. Like, that was that was a man. Yeah. Right, not necessarily someone who was flamboyant and who was arrogant or who had all these like a pimp wasn't somebody that was celebrated in the same way, you know what I mean? Mm. As a guy who would go home and be there for his children and be the man that his wife needed him to be, that was the person, right? So now it is what it is, but pimps and hustlers are kind of influencing the characteristics of the young people now. So you're seeing the flamboyant, arrogant, you know what I mean? Self-aggrandizing personality mixed into the game. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're watching it. Because 
you're thinking here and you're like, how does something like happen like what happened to the Warriors where you're crushing the team, you probably have the better team, and all of a sudden you lose by 40 when their best player is not on the floor? It's yeah. only arrogance. It's only arrogance that could put you in a position like that. It's only the fact that you've lost sight of what has gotten you here yeah. and that you're just interested in just being a show and it just didn't work itself out that way today. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's all you hang your hat on. And it's not, but for whatever the reason is, that's what it was. Because the Warriors do play deep. The Warriors are able to lock down when they want to. Yeah. So I'm disappointed. But I think that those are the things that are different in the eras why Jordan was able to be someone that even the basketball purists could still root for. Yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean. Whereas now it's like there's a divide between the the purist and then the individuals that love the character and love the the stuff that the one guy is able to do. You know, and I'll be honest with you, I love Iverson, but when he moved out of the the one as a point guard and went into the two and started running around and just was only focused on scoring. Yeah. I, I kind of had to move on as well because I didn't I didn't like that. I wanted him to stay as a point and find a way to still run his team and be the great player that he was at the same time. I didn't like that he had forced you know forced his way into the two and then now it was going to restructure the whole system. I didn't like that at all. That's when I started looking for other influences, which led me to. Things like and one mixtape, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Like that had a profound impact on the player that I became because yeah. around that time and one was starting to kick in too, and people were spreading these tapes around. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. like they weren't mainstream. No, they were hard to get, especially in Canada. They were so hard to get, and I had to get mine when I went to New York. I had to get it because you could only get it like at like a like a foot action or something. And okay. those stores only existed in the U.S. at the time. And so it was a very, very hard thing to come by. But I remember getting a hold of volume one, Rafer Austin. And you kind of remind me a lot of Skip to My Lou. Right? Mm. And, <laughs> and, and watching Skip to My Lou, who eventually played in, in the league and he played for Houston and he played for Toronto and he played for Orlando, but yeah. handles the ability, the grace, the smoothness. He, he had a big impact on the game, too, as well. Skip to my mm-hmm. loop was nuts. Nuts. Yeah, he was, yeah, it, just, he, it, just, it was different. Like, he would be running up the floor, and then he would put the ball through his legs without bouncing it. He yeah. would just put it yeah. through his legs to the other side and then throw a no look after doing that. Yeah. Like he would do things that just it defied the logic of the situation. Like he would bounce the ball, slices, like move his hand. Like almost magic kind of did some of those things at times where he'd bounce the ball, put his hand underneath the ball, then hit the ball over afterwards. Like yeah. he just or he'd slice his hand twice underneath the ball to yeah. make it look like he's about to cross it over. Yeah. And then put it through his legs, then throw it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he was just so cold. And I wanted to tell you before I got the name 
baller that was given to me. I didn't create it for myself. Yeah. The name that I made for myself was inspired by Skip to My Lose yeah. and by those mixtapes. And so you're, you know, you're thinking of all the weirdest names. You hear Skip to My Lose. So you're like, okay, I need some kind of name here yeah. that is kind of similar or kind of just different that yeah. it stood out, right? Yeah. So here I am. I'm thinking like, okay, who? what do I do? I, you know, I break ankles, right? It's funny because one of our mutual friends, he calls me that to this day. He'll The only name he'll ever call me is this name. Yeah. But the, it's almost embarrassing. I almost don't want to even say it because no, it's just no. kind of embarrassing, yeah. but it was funny. But it was ankles McNasty. So. <laughs> <laughs> So every time our buddy will see me, he'll call me probably McNasty. It was funny because I remember when McGinnis um, yeah. from the from the Clippers yeah. got into the NBA and he was calling himself McNasty, and people was like, "Yo, this guy took your name." Yeah, but it was that was it. Ankles McNasty, bro, and it was because I didn't have a name yet, you know. And that that the, the mixtape was just so inspiring, and seeing the things that Skip to My Lou was doing, I was like, okay. I, I I see now this I can become a walking show now. I can be so special with the way I move and handle and pass and do all of that that I could be a legend almost, you know? Yeah. Like someone like him. Because I don't even know to this day I don't I don't remember how I got my hands on volume one either. Yeah. It was just it was a back then young kids. Yeah. They were they went into VCR. Yeah, so yeah. this is this, this, yeah. this isn't a DVD. No, no, no. And there's no internet. You can't a, find this thing on the internet. You, you no. have to have the physical copy. That's the way. It yeah. Worked. This was legend. This was this was people talking about it in the streets, and you just were searching it out to find it. You, you know, know, you probably got it. A man probably did the the joint with the two VCRs. Yeah. Yeah. He recorded it on the black one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm telling you, kids, you guys don't, you guys will never understand how precious these things were because of how abundant everything is now. Yeah. Like yeah. that tape, people would be begging to borrow it. Yeah. And I'm like, nah, nah, no. This, this one here, I watch it every night. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean. Yeah, I was a fiend on the streets of New York looking for that tape. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was going everywhere. Like you know what I mean? Like my dad would be driving me somewhere. Back, like, yo, let me jump out the car and like, I just need. Where the hell is this tape, man? Like it's gotta some be back alley. Because doing some deals in the back alley. The only tapes that we had, like I had, like um, Michael Jordan playground. Mm-hmm. And I watched that religiously. I watched Michael Jordan Playground maybe two hundred times, like I, because it's really all we had, right? Um, yeah. But and one man, like when we first, when we, when you got a hold of that thing, it it changed. It just changed the way everything is. It probably individualized the game to a fault. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And made mm-hmm. it more of an individual thing as opposed to a team game. And you having to just dummy in a guy is enough. So. Yeah, you know, you knew. We started to know players that um, unbelievable handles, but couldn't shoot to save their lives. So yep, they but- focus so much energy on one end of the game because 
it's almost like <laughs> crossing over a dummy and somebody or dropping somebody is worth more than putting the ball in the hoop. And that no, became that's and, a that, fact. and that became a staple. And back then we were all playing outside at basketball courts. It was all street ball. So you'd go from yeah. neighborhood to neighborhood and different things. You see different players. And yeah, you catch yourself in a moment, you know what I mean, to be able to dummy a guy. Yeah. And the and the Period. players and the players I used to love were the guys that were overly, you know what I mean, the, the aggressive defenders because they would go and fall for everything. Yeah. You know what Absolutely. I mean? They'd be reaching, they'd be and so that's what made that that aspect of the game fun and made that era fun, but it made it a more individualized sport as opposed to a team sport, you know. Yeah. But it, it did have a major, major impact on, on it was all special. of us. Yeah. It was, it was absolutely special. And, you know, for context as well, we're living in Canada as well. So we don't even have as much access to all the different avenues. Like, when, when a game would be played, there could be 12 games in the NBA. Yeah. And, and for our little station, they would give us one minute of highlights yeah. for all twelve for all twelve games. Yeah. So you'd get three buckets each. Yeah. And on to the next game. You're like, that's it? Like what <laughs> what do you mean? That's all we're gonna get. And then it's back to hockey again. I'm like, yo, you're yeah, I hated TSN. TSN had forty nine minutes of hockey. Like it was the worst watching like I'm like, can I just see I know a dunk happened last night. I just wanna <laughs> see the dunk. Like <laughs> for real on, like, like just show it to me because there's no other awesome. way to see it. There's no other avenue to see it. You know what I mean? Period. Yeah. Period. There really wasn't. The only thing people were doing was recording the games. Yeah. I, yeah. Bet I had a lot you, of recorded games. Yeah. That's the only way that you could get ball when you wanted it. Otherwise, you had to wait for games to come on. And it was so bad. People were just doing illegal cable boxes. Yeah. So that we could watch, because I'm not gonna lie, my friend, we had an illegal cable box. Yeah. So I'm watching, thank God, WGN <laughs> yeah. was on there. Yeah. So I'm taking in all the Bulls games. Yeah. That also helped why I love Michael Jordan so much because I was able to watch him every night. Yeah. You know, and more than even I could see a Raptors game either. Yeah. There were times where they were Raptors games on and they wouldn't even show them on TV. Yeah. It was that bad. It would be a baseball game. It'd be a random hockey game. <laughs> not even from Toronto. And they would play that and not have you watch the away game of the Raptors versus the Blazers or something. Yeah. yeah. It was horrible. So you, you did become a fiend. You did crave anything that you could get your hand on. And, and, it was it, it made everything more magical. It made everything more meaningful because when you did get to see guys, like you see a guy like Garnett pull up. Mm. You only see him once a year. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Garnett is one of the greatest. It's crazy because I was telling you, yeah, I was watching his documentary that they made, uh, show, the Showtime one. Yeah. And you forget the type of legend that certain people are mm. because, you you know, you move on. But Kevin Garnett is one of the greatest basketball players with one of the greatest stories yeah. ever. Like, the fact that 
this guy is this high school kid being invited to a run where Michael Jordan and Scotty Pippen are playing. I have that clip queued up if you want it. Play, play, play. play. (laughs) Because I'm like, this, it's, it's legendary. It's legendary. The nigga said, let's go downtown and play some ball. He said, let's go down to the Retroplex, man. You know, the joint down at the Hilton where they got the really nice gym at. And I was like, oh, yeah, it is Saturday. There'll be some really good games in there. Yeah, at least some guys from the south side and north side will come meet. We get in there. Mike Jordan in there. And they playing in this kind of glass-filled gym. And we're all leaning on the thing, looking in here, fogging up the glasses and looking. And all of a sudden, security, doom, doom, doom. Pointed, was like, hey, you, come here. And I was like, me? And he was like, let big fella in. And when he said, I was like, yo, throw my shoes, yo, throw my shoes. So I grabbed my shoes. So fucking cheesy. So I'm seeing who in here. I see Pip in here. I see a couple people that I recognize. And then Jordan was like, let's go. So we, we, we go. And I was like, and I called for it. Mike threw it, boom. And I took a couple dribbles and I launched my shit. Boom. And I said something like to the line, I don't know what you think this is, shit. And he was like, what you saying? I said, you heard me? I'm just running off emotion, you understand? And I don't know how I got calmed down, but I held my own in here. And in the corner, I see a pair of feet. And look, and there was Isaiah Thomas, and he was in the Averex purple jacket, and he had it zipped up. He was in the corner like this. I'm there doing scouting work, because now I'm, I'm, I'm part owner and the executive of the Toronto Raptors. So I shot to him like I knew him in a Z. What's up, man? Oh, snap, man. What's up? Okay, boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just saw you play Scotty Pippen. Boy, you can play in the league right now. And when he said that, dog, the world stopped. I said, Z, what you say? He said, boy, do you know you can go to the league from high school? I said, nah. And I just remember saying to him, one day you, you're going to be a pro. And it might be next week. <laughs> Hello? Yo. Yo, I, I, like, it's 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 so nostalgic, man. Like, it's crazy to, to, to think about that moment. Even the Averex jacket. Like, right? people that don't know, like, that was the jacket. You know what I mean? That was the yeah. that was the Canada goose then. Like, if you had an Averex jacket, you were the guy. So just him talking about his Isaiah and him referencing the Averex jacket, like, that was something that... if. You could only be from the '90s to understand that reference point, but Absolutely. but just just everything about it, him being this high school player, and the funny thing is about his story, why he's saying, "Yo, I didn't know I could go to the league from high school," because he couldn't pass the SATs or the ACTs to be eligible to go to college, and that's uh-huh. the holding point for him. So he was struggling to be like. How do I get to the next level? Because college is the natural progression after high school. How do I get to the next level if I can't get to college because I can't pass these damn tests? And then him being in that gym playing against NBA players and Isaiah Thomas saying, young fella, you don't need all of that. Like, you can go. <laughs> like, yeah. you can go to the league, like, now. And yeah. so he ends up taking that opportunity to go to the league. And 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 then being drafted out of high school, which then alerted everybody else, which yep. alerted Kobe Bryant and alerted all these other guys to come after Jermaine him. O, Jermaine O'Neal. Right. Yeah. 
And so yeah. he opened the floodgates. And I remember telling you yesterday, like about the Spencer Haywood thing that made that thing possible, you mm-hmm. know, and how the Spencer Haywood took the NBA to the court, um, took, took the NBA to the court and went all the way to the Supreme court for him to be able to go and play in the NBA as a guy who wasn't doing four years of college. Cause just like the NFL, the NBA had a rule that you had to be four years removed from college in order oh. to go to the NBA. And so he took them to court. He won. And then that legislation, that's what opened up the fact that guys can leave college early. So it started with guys great. leaving college early to go play in the league. And mm. then it then transpired to then, well, that ruling also applies to high school kids. And KG was the first after that to then go and do all of that and then put himself in the position. That's crazy. And just to think, like, his life changed in that moment. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, think about that. You're a kid. You're talented. Like, you're your box office. Everybody wants to come see you. But you know in the back of your mind that you have this huge barrier yeah. to further your career, which is these tests. Yeah. And now you're like, what am I going to do? You keep failing. You keep failing. You're trying to study. You keep failing. And now you just, you know, your kid, one of your homeboys say, yo, let's just go play at that gym around the corner. You're like, yeah, "Yeah, you know, whatever, let's go. It'll be some good runs. And lo and behold, the best player on earth is in. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And allows you to play with him. Yeah. And then you finally get on the floor. And not only do you just exist, but you, you banging it and talking crazy. And they're looking at you like, what did you just say? And then there's a guy in the corner who's also a legend who's now affiliated with this expansion team called right. the Toronto Raptors. And it's their first draft. And they look around and they see he's willing to take the risk on you. Yeah. To the point that Kevin McHale talks to him yeah. about you. Yeah. And now Kevin McHale's willing to take the risk as well. And now you're a Timberwolf. Yeah. Funny enough, if Isaiah Thomas never had said nothing to nobody, yeah. the Raptors might have had Garnett. Right. But you know, it's funny because um, he talked about, Garnett talked about the NBA workout that he went to. And mm-hmm. they had a private workout. They're like, and him talking about him walking in the room and him hearing Pat Riley saying, is this a, a high school kid? Um, you have you guys have me here sitting on watching a high school kid? Don't waste my time. And so he heard that and he was like, yeah? Mm. Okay, I'm going to show you guys. For these 90 minutes, I'm going to show you guys who I am. And so Garnett's like, I went off in the workout. Went off. Went completely off. Screaming, talking. Talking to these owners like they're just guys on the <laughs> corner. And talking yeah. to these GMs and coaches like that to the point where they looked at him like, yo, this guy, this guy is for real. And so yeah. Kevin McHale came and talked to him at that moment. And then Kevin McHale reached out to Isaiah and said, who are you drafting? And he's like, yo, he's like, I can't lie to McHale. You know what I mean? Yeah. As much yeah. as I want to, because I think Minnesota picked either sixth or fifth and Toronto picked like seventh or something. And he said to him like, I'm going to get Garnett 
but if he doesn't fall to me, then I'll take Stoudemire. And he knew by telling Mikhail that, that Garnett's not going to stay on the board that long. And lo yep. and behold, Minnesota okay, ended up taking him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? So we were this close to having Kevin Garnett drafted yeah. the Toronto Raptors. And it's again, it's like one of those things where we're looking at because being then in that era, you're you're saying to yourself, wow, like it's it was so the Toronto Raptors are so close so many times with so many <laughs> different graphics. You know? Yeah. And it's, yeah. <laughs> it's it's crazy. But yeah, yeah. That, that moment history making. You know, you know uh, so I wanted to also just give a shout out to his teammate Ronnie Fields. Yeah. Because yeah. Ronnie Fields was a Ronnie Fields was Vince Carter before Vince Carter, basically. Yeah. Right? Like jumping wise, just he was ridiculous. And the shout out I wanted to give to Ronnie and to Garnett's high school coach that coached that team was that they unleashed the beast in Kevin Garnett. Yeah. Kevin Garnett came out of a Jehovah's Witness family. He was very soft-spoken, great kid, just did whatever he was told, talented. And then he went to Chicago because some trouble had happened where there was a fight inside of his school. And then he, among others, was charged as a result of it. Yeah. So his mom so his mom sent him off to Chicago to keep him out of trouble and she basically trusted him with a good friend who she knew would take care of him and that's how Garnett ended up in Chicago in the first place to be able to then walk into a gym where Michael Jordan would have been playing at. Yeah. But the fact that the coach and Ronnie were just bringing out Garnett's personality and encouraging him to talk smack and making him play in this aggressive manner is the only real reason I believe Garnett was able to get into the league and make it in the league when he got there because his road was not easy and not smooth. Nobody believed in a kid coming into the NBA. It was a game for men. They even would say that the NBA was an acronym for no boys allowed. Yeah. Right. You had guys like, you know, McDaniels, you had Oakley, you had, you know, a guy like, what's Anthony Mason, rest in peace to him. You know, you had guys that were borderline football linebackers in the NBA that their job was to put you on your back. Their job was to rough you up and make that paint almost like the goal line, like when you're trying to get into the goal, get into the end zone in a, in a football game. Like they were the guys protecting that key like it was an end zone. Yeah, And you could not go in there unless you had the size to be able to take the punishment when you got there. Yeah, So you have this little skinny kid now walking in who's a four, right? He's seven feet, basically. So he's playing around that area with these grown men. And the only way he could have survived was the way he would attack the rim, the way that he was so fearless that he could almost psych himself out. He could almost make himself believe things that might not have been true but it's what kept him going and was able to really persevere and fight through all of the resistance that he had at that time people were talking crazy about right but he held his own and i genuinely believe it was because of the way that those guys conditioned him through that those couple years in chicago you know what i mean yeah Yeah. made him tough made him prepared and it's funny because he met his coach at the the Nike camp. 
So he Ooh. got invited to the Nike camp, which is like the ABCD camp, you know. So before EYBL and before all of these AU circuits, if you were the top player, you got invited to a camp. So similar, they probably, they still have camps now. They have like LeBron James Skills Academy or exactly. you know, what I mean? stuff like that. So it was, it was pretty cool. much like that. It was that all-American type of, if you're the top player, you go to the camp. So he goes to the camp and... The coach is there, but more importantly, a person who's having his own issues is there. And the star we talked about earlier, Allen Iverson, because mm-hmm. similar to Garnett's story, Allen Iverson got in trouble for roughly the same thing Garnett got in trouble with. And the, and the thing is about the way these states work, it's like we think about it now. We're like, OK, a little fight, no big deal, right? <laughs> In those places, a little fight could be like a charge like lynching. (laughs) Yeah. It's like a serious charge. So so Allen Iverson actually went to prison in the state of Virginia. So he's playing in this camp where he's going through his own court case battle. And so they're seeing AI because he's like this mythical figure being the best... AI was the best in the country in both sports, football and basketball. And he's about to go to prison for a fight starting in a in a bowling alley where black kids fought white kids. And that's yeah. considered lynching or something. So yeah. he has to go to jail. So he's about to miss out on his NBA opportunity because he's facing 15 years in prison. And then right after that, Kevin Garnett ends up in a little thing where he was. So... Given that story, that's where his mom decides, like, yo, you need to leave here. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. then that's when this coach steps in and says, yo, come to Chicago. I'll look after him. You know? Yeah. I'll look yeah. after him. I'll take care of him. Because looking at the AI situation, it could go really, really wrong. And AI gets out of it where they write a letter to the governor, and then nobody wanted him. And then his mom had to write a letter to John Thompson at Georgetown pleading yeah. with him to take her son. And then he says, his life. Yeah. And then he says, Yeah, I'll give him a shot. But listen, I don't play no games. <laughs> and he goes there, and Alan Iverson has a, this great career as a result. And then Kevin Garnett leaving where he left, going over to Chicago with this coach, and then him having the story that he ends up having. Yeah. You no. Know? Crazy. Yeah. I mean, I gotta get out of here soon, but before we go, I wanted to stress too that with Garnett, Gar- there's a lot tied to Garnett. The, the way the NBA is structured right now, especially when it comes to contracts even, has a lot to do with the contract that Kevin Garnett signs, which is the one for $126 million. And it was like the whole NBA stopped. Yeah. Because the owners knew what was about to happen. The second that they seen that guy get that money. They knew every one of their stars on their team was going to be asking some questions and be looking for a contract in that type of ballpark because Kevin Garnett was an unproven star at that point mm-hmm. and still got that kind of money. So literally the lockout happened the next year. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and what they implemented because they said we're going to give the stars the money, is what they implemented was the salary cap. And the mm-hmm. salary cap was going to make 
those players who took that money be the reason why their teams didn't win as a result because they couldn't get another player similar to them. So now they were almost going to make him feel the pain of taking that money because he was going to be criticized and blamed if his team didn't win because he took, take, take, took that money. So the conversations that we have now today about players, he's getting paid too much, he's this, he's that, is because they almost yeah. structured it that way so that they can do that and crucify people for taking that money. And Garnett Absolutely. was just the first casualty of that. And that's the price of being a trendsetter, just like how Pistol Pete had to pay a price. And it's it's just interesting because the Timberwolves had two stars at the time with him and Stephon Marbury, wow, and that's yeah. exactly right. And that's yeah. what broke them up, basically. Yeah. Yeah. That's what broke up OKC and forced James Harden out of OKC. Yeah. Yep. Was that the money wasn't going to work itself out. And now think about it. We had the conversation in our last episode about paying Jordan Poole. But the second you talk about paying him, then you're like, but then Wiggins' contract's coming up. Right. And then now this person's con- – and now it becomes this game of trying to not go over this quote-unquote salary cap because the penalties are so high for the team that it doesn't, it doesn't make it make sense for them and they almost have to let these players go. And then yeah. you think of guys like – like Dirt Nowitzki or whoever who would take less money right. to, in order for them to be able to pay other guys. And now you you you, you champion Dirk, right? Yeah. You say, see, that's a guy that cares more about winning than himself. <laughs> and now you're demonizing a guy yeah. for, for getting the full value right. that he could get, right? So yeah. it's so tricky because the teams are making billions anyway. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, it's so funny how this stuff starts to go, you know, and then now come in shoe contracts. Mm-hmm. Garnett was one of the first guys to have his shoe sell for $200. Yeah. And we were like looking at like, damn, $200, bro. That's crazy. And then they went up to $300. Yeah. And like, yo, you're nuts. Ain't nobody paying $300. Yeah. For, yeah, for yeah. Him and Penny's phone posits. Like, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now how much are guys paying for shoes? Yeah. 1500 Yeah. <laughs> Stupid. And and before and before we leave, because I know you gotta go, I wanted to tell this quick little thing, but do you know do you know who had the technically had the highest offered contract for shoe contract ever? No, who? Spencer Haywood. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and he turned it down. Really? Yeah. So his con- so he got offered two deals on the table. $100,000 or 10% of Nike. Wow. <laughs> or 10% of Nike. So his agent told him just take the 100 grand, bro. <laughs> <laughs> and they say that that 10% oh, worth roughly God. around Maybe north of eight billion dollars. <laughs> so, so, so his wow. agent was like, "Yeah, man, who cares, bro? Just take the take the hundred grand." Like, they're not gonna they're not gonna last anyway. You know what I mean? No, right? That's it's crazy. about 
It's about Converse and Adidas. Yeah, bro. that's it crazy. Was just, just Hindsight's twenty twenty, bro. But that wow. one would have been big. I mean, Jordan didn't even want to go with Nike. <laughs> he kind of, so, yeah, he kind of pushed that through through the stratosphere. But you're thinking to yourself, like, bro, the guy had ten percent of Nike if he wanted it. That's nuts. That's nuts. That's nuts. You know. But yeah. yeah. We got to get out of here, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good way to leave it. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. This has been a great episode of the Ballers Edition podcast. Um, like it, share it, send it to your friends. Um, let us know what you think. And till the next one, peace. Till the next one, peace.